tuning in to the Bully Pew podcast brought to you by the troublemakers at protestio.com and our wonderful and intrepid patron supporters who for only $5.95 a month bring this program and Protestio tonight and all of the research and writing and articles and information at protestio.com to you on a daily basis. This program is, well, it's me driving around in the car and just sort of ranting and talking and discussing about the latest things on my mind, usually informed by kind of what's going on out there in the evangelical conversation, um, usually informed by things that we might be re- reporting on over at protestia.com um, or several other um, discernment and polemics websites that we read regularly and we're going to be we're going to be discussing while I drive for a little while here we're going to be discussing the (laughs) almost comical 180 done by former SBC president and Summit Church uh, lead pastor J.D. Greer on the issue of women pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're going to be talking about that uh, before we get into that. Some of you might have noticed a, a little, and I don't know why this, this stuff keeps coming up. I guess it's because the internet is such a big place. And so there are always um, like new people to issues and Johnny come lately's and, and those that think that they're the first person to discuss something or the first person to, to notice. But every once in a while, we wind up wind up getting dragged back into something that was like, hey, we, we were talking about this a year ago. We were talking about this four or five months ago, whatever. And people just now saw it, and they can sort of pontificate on it and post things on social media um, like it's a new issue. They can post things that are that are really ignorant about the issue and find an audience because inevitably if there are people who want to talk about issues that are old and have been out there for a while, there are also other people out there that will listen and will believe kind of the, the, the new, um, the rehash and the rehash that is of course, absent context and whatnot. And one of those things, uh, happened yesterday with, um, Janet, Janet Mefford, who, uh, you know, former, former, uh, radio, um, show host, um, print journalist, um, you know, been, been around doing great work for a long time, um, really took a run at, she, she had posted something on Twitter about, um, how people tend to idolize their favorite celebrity pastors and ignore the wrong things they do and, and whatnot. And of course, all that's very true. Um, but wouldn't you know it, Julie Roy's jumps in the conversation and starts saying, well, the outside like John MacArthur, when will Janet Mefford, um, apply the same standard to John MacArthur? Because, you know, Julie Roy's is absolutely obsessed with taking down John MacArthur, which is, it's the most ridiculous thing. It's, it's, frankly, it's embarrassing. I mean, and, and shameful. And of course, we've routinely debunked her, her writing and her quote unquote journalism on this for years now. It's been a long time. But Janet Mefford, apparently doesn't like Julie Royce too much for, 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 for very valid reasons, turns around and just, you know, in a, in a long, pretty long form tweet thread, just takes Julie Royce to the woodshed over kind of what we've been saying for a while, that she's a fake journalist, that she, she, um, she plumps her credentials in, in journalism far beyond what they actually are and sort of tries to make that her brand. Oh, she's the, she's the quote unquote, veteran investigative journalist, 
um, for churches. Julie Royce puts on her website, she's restoring the church, but of course, um, nine out of 10 things on her website are tearing down churches of, of really any theological stripe. So long as they, well, that's not true, not any theological stripe. If the church happens to be um, led by a unicorn riding lesbian, and reciting the Sparkle Creed, Julie will leave that alone. But is any church, um, whether they're conservative or liberal theologically, that has a that has male leadership in the church, she's not she's not down with that. And so, I mean, John MacArthur is probably the the most influential example of that. Is a church it, it, as his church has um, stood strong on these issues for a long time, unapologetically. That really gets under her skirt. Um, Julie's, you know, Ju- Julie gets upset by this, and, and so she wants to take out John MacArthur. But really, like, even even if your church is like like crazy liberal, but it has a man at the helm, and then it, it does some stuff Julie doesn't like, she she'll take a run at that too. It really is full blown egalitarianism, and she's a crusader for it. And so, you know, Janet note, notes this, but mainly takes issue with the fact that um, Julie Royce's supposed journalistic credentials are not what they're made out to be. Um, uh, Julie has has never been a a print journalist in any sort of you know reputable uh, publication. She's never been a um, an uh, published investigative journalist um, prior to her starting her own website, which came at the it, it came. I mean, it was a website before, but it really became what it is after um, she she quote unquote investigated Moody. And, and all of that and you know took issue and they were her employer I mean she was she was uh, you know uh, doing like a either a radio show or a podcast or something with Moody and then apparently saw stuff that she supposedly didn't like and torched her employer and so they 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 got rid of her she started her own thing um, Julie Royce hasn't been able to stay in a church for very long because I mean what kind of church is going to want to have uh, a muckraker hiding there that that as soon as she hears something she doesn't like, she's going to put the church on blast and then, and then promote herself and, and remind everybody how virtuous she was for being a whistleblower and being the person to expose all the bad stuff in, in this church. And, oh, and, and of course she's very heartbroken by all of this, but this happens routinely. But I mean, Julie Roy's the, the, her one claim to fame, if you could even call it that at this point is, um, exposing some stuff at harvest with James McDonald. And not that that wasn't um, necessarily valuable, but the problem is, and we've talked about this before, that when someone exposing these kind of things, um, when they get accolades from it, when they get um, attention, when they get respect, when they start to make a name for themselves, and then eventually people move on uh, to another story, another topic or whatever, um, they, they can't allow that, so they have to find another one. And their the their entire presence, their entire platform, their entire in her case, her entire job, is now based off of exposing things and, and tearing things down. And yes, I know people would accuse Protestia of doing that kind of thing, but very rarely do we do we um, pick some sort of topic or person or you know ministry or whatever that's got problems and just. Um, obsess about it for weeks and weeks and months and years and, and whatnot. Um, we try to tell you, um, you know, call balls and strikes. We try, to, we, we try to write it as we see it um, from a doctrinal perspective, and we try to, um, you know, write and pay attention to things that are kind of all over the map in terms of the the Christian world and the evangelical conversation, particularly. Um, 
and yeah, there, there are people that we've written about multiple times, but it's usually because they've done multiple things and they keep doing things. And that is very different from somebody like Julie Royce who says, um, Hey, I think John MacArthur did this bad thing. And again, I like even, even the bad things she thinks he did. I mean, I've argued and written for why I think she's wrong about that, obviously. And what I, what I believe her technique and motivations are with regard to that. Um, but so she, she, but she will post the same articles over and over and over and every time someone's talking about it, she's like, hey, remember this article that I wrote back in 2021? This is the proof. This is the proof how bad he is. It's obsessive. It's, it's, um, it's disturbed, honest, to be quite honest, that, that she, she believes that this is her, her mission in life and that she thinks it's some sort of Christian ministry. To, to say, I think that so-and-so is a bad, a bad guy and of course, people like myself and others have provided the rebuttal to that of what we actually think is going on. She won't actually answer or take issue with any of the content of the rebuttals. She just keeps harping on the same thing over and over and over. Um, the woman has published something like 50 or 60 articles on, on how bad John MacArthur is. But she thinks that, of course, she thinks the Eileen Gray case is like some smoking gun that proves how bad he is. And, and she says it over and over and over and over again, making, you know, pretty, pretty obvious in some cases, blunders, false information, um, things that we've talked about. And, and Janet Mefford says, basically said the same thing. Hey, look, Julie, you're not a reputable investigative journalist. You never have been. You plumped your credentials to try to give yourself credibility that you, you haven't earned and don't have. And you make mistakes and you do things that no real investigative journalist would ever be caught dead doing. Um, and, and again, of course, Julie gets all, all hot and bothered about that. Other people jump in and, and, um, other people jump in and say, uh, you know, no, Janet, you know, Janet, they, they, they said the thing that interested me the most is someone said, well, Janet wrote it like a, an unsubstantiated hit piece against Aaron Harding, who, if you're, I don't know if anybody of you remember who she is, but Aaron Harding is, was the, the uh, pastoral ministry bachelor's graduate from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, who's uh, an online loudmouth, and I argued in a, in a really just more like a lengthy um, example kind of article, that she is a, she's a good example of what I call platform grifters. Which are, which are people that will shift their principles and their doctrinal beliefs and, and their alliances and who they like and don't like and all this kind of stuff on a whim if they think that it will um, um, get them more notoriety. So, you know, grifting, of course, being, being um, doing whatever, whatever you need to do to uh, promote yourself no matter what, what it takes... Um, it's a combination, if I remember this correctly, it's a combination of grafting and drifting. Grafting means stealing something. And then, and then drifting being just moving around, shifting your principles around. So, um, but but the, the idea is that you will uh, promote and side with any sort, of, um, any sort of movement or any sort of public interest or, or what you think the public is, uh, would like to hear. Um, regardless of principle. So you're, you're, you're going to be, um, basically sticking your finger in the wind and saying, what are the, what, what are the current winds of culture 
uh, think about this or want to hear or yada, yada, yada. Okay, and then you morph yourself into that for the sake of getting attention and notoriety and uh, accolades online and, you know, likes and clicks and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and the difference is because, again, I mean, people would say, well, bro, Protestio is just, I mean, they put clickbaity headlines and they, they do this kind of stuff to get to get people to read the website. It's like, well, yeah, we do some stuff that because we think that people should read the website for sure. But what doesn't shift are our are doctrinal and theological principles. That's what doesn't shift. And so in, in order for someone to say, well, Protestia is a bunch of grifters, they would have to say, hey, you, you, guys, you, you guys were, you know, really conservative and, and, and complementarian and inerrant, you know, pushers of biblical inerrancy and all of this. You're promoting these things. And then when you saw that, uh, that you could make, get more attention or more viewership or, or, you know, get in with a certain group by changing those principles, then all of a sudden you became um, liberal egalitarian types and all of this. And that's, you know, and you're, you're doing what you're doing just for attention, not for, because you believe in what you're saying. And I, you know, nobody could reliably accuse us of that because that's not what we're doing. Um, and yet like with, with Aaron Harding and, and, and Todd Harding, um, two seconds ago, they were, they were massive John MacArthur fans and they were, they were doing podcasts about how important patriarchy is and how important male leadership is and, and all this in like two seconds. You know, I mean, you know, what, like a year or two later, they're, they're, um, basically saying transgenderism is biblically allowable and that's not problematic. I mean, it's, it was really that dramatic of a shift. And the common thread with all of that is wanting to get attention, wanting to have a platform, wanting to get people to pay attention to them. And so it was like, hey, if we thought we could get an audience, if we thought we could um, make a name for ourselves, if we if we could get the positive emotional um, reactions that we want to get, if we if we want to get the the positive emotional consequences of people telling us how great we are, we'll tell you anything you want to hear. You know, oh, you know, do, do can we get attention and, and build a platform off of being um, conservative and complementarian and, 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 and promoting biblical fidelity? Okay, fine, we'll do that. Oh, can we get attention by um, excusing transgenderism like it's not a horrific sin? Um, or And, and uh, you know, basically talking about how terrible and abusive um, patriarchal and complementarian church culture is? Um, okay, we'll do that. Right. This is the, this is the nature of the grift, and I, I put out an article about them just as an example. Like I I, I don't particularly care uh, who these people are necessarily. They're not particularly influential, and and usually we try not to. I think I said at the beginning of the article we try not to punch down. We try not to pick on people that um, um, you know or or and really give them the the platform that they're seeking by putting them on a website that that has you know. Um, just just exponentially more attention and traffic than they do. Try not to do that. Um, but I found the example to be so um, to to be so educational. I found the example to be a just a good case study, and just for for seeing this kind of behavior because this happens all the time online. And unfortunately, you know, I, I say unfortunately, but I guess this is overall a good trait. But Christians tend to be uh, understanding. They tend to be trusting. They tend to be patient. They tend to want to give someone the benefit of the doubt, especially if that person is saying some yeah, is saying true things uh, sometimes about Jesus and, and um, you know, things we, we want to give one another. I mean, 
self-professed Christians, you know, professing Christians, we want to give one another the benefit of the doubt very often. And so sometimes we let our discernment guard down when we, we really, there's no need to, and we, and we should, you know, as Reagan used to say, trust, but verify. And this, this is one of the, the behavioral characteristics or the, the, um, the type of action, the type of action online, um, that we need to watch out for this, this idea that there will be people. And frankly, I guess at the end of the day, you probably can't guarantee with 100% accuracy that anybody is not this, but there will be people that tell us, um, true things and things that we agree with and things that are true biblically and yet do not have the right motivation of heart. Um, I mean, somebody, somebody can very easily say, um, I'm going to start a, a platform or start expressing um, Orthodox Christianity nonstop, um, saying very true things uh, in, in, a, in a very direct and straightforward and truthful manner, and yet it's not for the purpose of um, promoting the truth as much as it's for the purpose of um, getting attention for themselves. And so we always have to be on the lookout for that. And, and the way that we can tell, the way that we can tell uh, whether this, you know, at least to the extent that we can tell, but one of the markers, one of the things that we should be looking for is, is the person who is talking, saying all of these true things, promoting this biblical truth, um, do they promote the same biblical truth when it doesn't get them a platform? When, do, they, do they change their principles um, when the going gets rough? when they're getting a lot of negative attention, when people are, when, you know, especially as the platform starts to grow larger and now they're starting to get fire and, and attacks and lies uh, said about them from, from, you know, people that disagree with the, the biblical principles they're promoting. What do they do? Do they just keep right on going? Do they, do, do they keep right on uh, promoting the same true principles? Cause that's, that's a good sign. Obviously, the bad sign is if if the the commonality is not the biblical principle. It's not the theology or the doctrine. The commonality is getting accolades from from others, building a platform, getting attention, and that's what I mean. You know, yeah, I mean, Aaron Harding is a great example of that. And it's just she, just just one. I mean, there are a lot of people that fit this um, this sad pattern of behavior. Um, and the goal in talking about them was not so much them. I really don't care um, to, uh, we, we don't need to be spending time on Protestia exposing people that aren't, have no influence, um, particularly, except in this case to, to demonstrate the behavior, demonstrate the pattern of, the be, of behavior so that um, those who read Protestia, those who are concerned about polemics and discernment can practice uh, the skills of their discernment. They can see this pattern of behavior. And so when others start to do the same thing, you'll see it coming. You'll know what it is. And again, the standard, the measuring stick is the doctrine. What, what, you know, over, over the time that this person is um, expressing themselves and um, using that, using a platform and, and this, this kind of thing, what's the commonality is the commonality, the, the, the doctrinal principles, or is the commonality the attention? Is the commonality the the uh, size of the platform? So that's that's kind of what that was about. But it's just it's 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 amazing to me that um, I mean the internet is such a big place and a place ripe for confusion. That I mean this stuff just keeps coming up from time to time. So 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd recommend if you can find it on Twitter, go find Janet uh, Mefford's uh, um, tweet thread um, about Julie Roy's. Uh, it's a lot of stuff we've been saying for a while um, as well, but really a I think from a different perspective because I mean, you know those of you that know those of you that know me know I'm not I'm not a um, you know I, I don't have formal education in journalism or something like that I don't have some sort of credentials in um, the journalism industry and so I mean yeah you might you, you you certainly might point and say well then hey you're not a journalist or hey we don't trust your writing as much fine whatever that's fine um, I I would I would argue that uh, we are voracious in our research and the way that we formulate arguments. And that's part of the reason that people read what we do. It's part of the reason that what we do is effective. Um, but I, I would argue that the main reason that it's effective is because the principles don't move. And so at any, at any given time, it'd be very easy to say, hey, you're, you're not a good writer, or you messed this up, or, or whatnot. And uh, I will take all of those criticisms w- with an open mind and try to do better at those kind of things. But what we're not going to do ever is say I'm moving off of, you know, that we're moving off of what we believe scripturally, what we believe doctrinally, um, where we place our faith, hope, and trust, and what we believe about how this work is to be done. Um, that's not going to move. And, you know, we, we must obey God rather than men. That's what we do. And so, yeah, it's not, protestia.com is never going to be journalism in the, in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, um, Chicago Tribune, Denver Post traditional sense. We know that already. But we're also real people, and we will, um, we're, we're, we stand behind what we do, and, and I, hopefully that's why, um, that's why you can trust us even if you disagree with us on things authenticity is important and we try to plant our flag there um on to the next issue for this bully pew podcast um as i'm driving very sunny very hot out today in denver colorado traffic is terrible as usual although it usually is a little bit better than this time of day than it is right now so but when it gets hot people's cars break down and i suspect that that's probably what's happened um but anyway so so before the the Southern Baptist Convention meeting uh, last month, um, J.D. Greer basically he, he put out some sort of article or some sort of post on, on the church's website about why the basic conclusion of it was, hey, guys, women pastors in the SBC are no big deal. All right. They, they keep there were more women pastors before. Now there are less. So clearly we're doing the right thing. Um, you know, and this is just a, this is a subset of the, there's no liberal drift in the convention, um, argument that a lot of these platform guys have been making for a long time. Like what liberal drift? We're all conservatives here. What's the problem? You know, what are you guys getting so upset about? Um, and, and, and so he, he puts out this post on the church website saying, Hey, there were more, there were more women pastors in the, in, in the North Carolina Baptist convention, um, you know, years ago and then fewer and fewer. Now there's only like 20 claiming, I, I mean, I, I guess thinking that there, there must be, um, Baptist churches in North Carolina that what they're getting rid of their women pastors. They've, they've finally seen the scriptural light and they're saying, okay, you know, Betty or, uh, Susan or whoever, whoever our women pastors are, uh, we have, we have figured it out. We figured out that scripture says you can't be a pastor. And so, uh, we're afraid you're going to have to step down and now you're not a pastor anymore. Like, does he, J.D. Greer apparently expected his readers to believe that this is what was going on. 
that that rather than the drift going leftward, which it does 99.99% of the time, that instead there were actually churches that were um, becoming more complementarian and more serious about gender roles in the pastorate and, and get, getting rid of their female pastors, their pastrixes, as we like to say sometimes. Obviously, that's a, that's a ridiculous uh, claim to make. Instead, it's, it's, it was and is, I mean, assuming that we can trust the data he's putting out there, and I see no reason not to trust it, but assuming that, that it was 400, you know, women pastors in the North, North Carolina Baptist, and now it was, then it was 200, and now it's 20 or something, I think those are the numbers he put out, um, what's actually going on? Well, we all know, if we're, we're, if we're fairly assessing the situation, it's simply that these churches are not calling women as many women pastors as they used to. Now they're calling them, um, you know, ministry leaders or directors or, or you know, whatever. Um, they're using other terms for what they used to use the term pastor for. Now, does this mean that these women have changed their roles? Are they doing something different in the church than they were doing before? Well, no. So at some point, these churches decided, hey, the, the, this woman is ministering the church in, in a role and in a sense that we, would, that we want to refer to her as a pastor. Um, you know, Baptist tradition has been to use the term pastor to denote the same scriptural office as elder, overseer, bishop, um, uh, presbyter sometimes. I mean, you know, the, but, but basically the, the role of elder as identified and as ordained in scripture and described in scripture, um, Baptists and other evangelical churches have been using the term pastor to describe that, that role in that office for, you know, hundreds of years. So at some point, these North Carolina Baptist churches said, whatever this woman is doing ministry-wise in this church, we should use the word pastor to describe that, to describe that role. And then all of a sudden, um, reported to, I guess, the state convention, fewer and fewer um, women being called pastor um, in these churches. That doesn't mean that these women stopped doing that, the stopped exercising the office that they were exercising. It means they just started calling them different things. And this is the problem that we have. We've talked about it over and over and over at this point. This question of, um, is it just a word pastor or are we talking about a scriptural role that is reserved for men? Now, of course, it's a, it's a scriptural office. It's a role reserved for men. And it is, it is a, a distinct uh, ordained position in a church that uh, we use the word pastor to describe. And so that it's, it's, and it's really not, it shouldn't be that complicated, but the, the pragmatists, the church growth types, the, the, um, the folks that would, that, that would like to basically water down the doctrine for the purpose of being as widely acceptable to the world as possible, they like the ambiguity. They want the ambiguity. They want churches to be able to um, throw around the term uh, pastor, you know, synonymously with the uh, office of elder or in its own thing, like where a pastor doesn't necessarily mean elder. They, they want churches to be able to just go sort of hog wild with this terminology and with really what it means. Now, scripturally speaking, the, the office, the role, the position within the body of Christ um, that is that is set aside in Scripture, um, the the role defines the office and the role determines the term. So you, we we call someone a pastor because they are acting in the office in the ordained role of pastor within the church. That's why we use that term. 
Um, and so we, we don't want to allow, and we shouldn't allow, for the, I mean, really just for the sake of truth and integrity and transparency and clarity, we, we shouldn't be allowing churches to use that term for anything other than the ordained office of elder. If, if, we let, if we let churches do the saddleback thing where they say, we're going to ordain these, we're going to lay hands on these women and ordain them as pastors, and then when called out on that, we're going to say, oh, no, no, they're, they're not in the office. I mean, they're not elders. They don't have the, the, the authority in the church. They're not teaching men, even though, like a saddleback, I think the women do teach men. So they're still in violation um, of Scripture. Um, in this issue, but this is what we can't allow, and because we wind up with issues like what J.D. Greer is trying to do right now, where first first he claims, hey, the, the number of women pastors at North Carolina Baptist churches are going down, which of course we just know that that means that these churches are changing the titles that they're using. They're not changing. They're not changing the uh, scriptural or spiritual authority, which is the point of it being a, a male office. Is it because men are um, to be submitted to within their marriage? Husbands should be submitted to in their marriage, and uh, exercise uh, spiritual oversight and leadership over their families. That we don't want to invert that in the church. The the limitation on on um, women not exercising authority or teaching men in the church is is merely a reflection. I say merely, like it's not important, but it's important. It's a reflection of the spiritual order, um, the order of submission within the family, within the marriage. That's 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 why we don't want we don't want to invert people's marriages when they get to church in terms of what scripture is laid out for husbands and wives. Um, but so so JD Greer makes this argument. Hey, you know, there there are fewer there are fewer women pastors. So so obviously we're doing fine on this. There's no liberal drift. But what he's saying is there's no need for us to have this conversation at the convention. That's the case he was making. We don't need to worry about amendments and changing the BFNM and and disfellowshipping churches doing this because it's really not that big of a deal, you guys. Now, of course, the convention messengers thought otherwise and they roundly um, kicked out Saddleback Church. They roundly kicked out Fern Creek for having women pastors because that's against what we believe. And the cooperation is based off of um, common belief and conviction. This is really not that complicated, right? So these churches are they're kicked out. Um, we amended the Baptist faith and message to include um, what elder, I think it was elder and overseer along with pastor um, in the part of the, the BFNM that says that that office is restricted to men. Um, and then the Mike Law Amendment passes, um, basically putting similar language in terms of friendly cooperation, similar language into the SBC Constitution. Now, of course, I mean, those of you that know how the SBC works know that an amendment to the Constitution takes two consecutive votes. So the Mike Law Amendment will come up again in, Indi- in Indianapolis next year. And the messengers will need to two-thirds approve it again to actually change the language in the Constitution. Um and, and so what, what's happening now is you're finding big Eva types like Greer, but others are going to, I mean, others are going to weigh in on this as well, coming out against the Mike Law Amendment. But now the reason has changed. Now the reason has changed because first it was, hey, we don't need this. We don't need this because there are no women pastors in the SBC. I mean, look at North Carolina, like they're all going away somehow. All these, chur- all these churches that saw no problem with it have all of a sudden been, been convicted by the Spirit that what they were doing is wrong and they kicked out the women pastors. We can see that now. Well, that's, that's not the reason that he doesn't think it's necessary anymore. Now it's because um, the, the African-American churches, the black churches in the SBC, have um, 
you know, Morris Chapman, I, I don't remember who wrote the letter, but I knew that it cited Morris Chapman, but black SBC churches, churches, and these are churches, by the way, that identify themselves as black churches. I guess, I mean, they look around and say, most of us are black, so we are going to say this is a black church. Uh, I, I would, I find that an inappropriate way to identify your church any more than looking around and saying, Hey, you know, like my church in Colorado is, is mostly white people. We would never be talking about ourselves as a white church. And yet, you know, under the, under the auspices of critical theory and, and, um, you know, racial reconciliation and whatnot. I mean, this is still something that we accept, I guess. In, in Southern Baptist land, the idea that we are going to identify our churches based off of skin color, and then we're going to have little sub-associations, and so that's what this is. It's a um, this, this African-American Baptist group within the SBC is a bunch of self-identified black churches that bandy together, I guess, because they have different um, things that need to be advocated for. I mean, this is like an advocacy group, an organizational group that is apart from the rest of the convention or, or stands apart from other churches in the convention. Like, I don't think that my church could join this group of other Southern Baptist churches, which means that they must have different motivations and, um, and different goals than the rest of the convention. But, but I digress. They, they write a letter to Bart Barber and say, hey, hey, we have concerns about this. We have concerns about this Mike Law Amendment and the direction the convention is going with regard to disfellowshipping churches over women pastors. Well, why? Because we have a ton of churches in our African-American association with women pastors. So, I mean, they, they come out and say, yeah, J.D. Greer is way wrong about this. It's, it's in fact, it's not that we should get rid of talking about this because it's not an issue at all. It's, we got to get rid of talking about this because it's a massive issue. And there's tons of churches in the convention um, with women pastors preaching to men, exercising authority over them, teaching them in the gathered assembly, all sorts of things that scripture very clearly prohibits is going on in apparently a lot of self-identifying African-American churches. And so, so now J.D. Greer, you know, does a 180 and says, uh-oh. So, so now, now we got to stop talking about this for a different reason. And the reason is, well, we don't want to be, um, we don't want to kick out all these black churches. We don't want to disfellowship the black churches. The world, world already hates us because we have too many uh, podunk, um, hick, hayseed, Southern Baptist churches who are standing firmly on the word of God. And that's embarrassing for us, but we really don't want to be embarrassed by the world pointing the finger at us and calling us racist. Anything we can do to not be considered a not be called racist by the world we will do i mean that's become the motto of the platform elites in the sbc the world is watching whatever we do here the world is watching i mean and what has that produced over the last few years well it's produced a, a convention and and convention elites and, and sbc institutionalists that that um that, that wave around in the breeze with every every wind of, of cultural, um, doctrinal, or ideological concern. So, oh, the world's the world's worried about uh, in in the wake of George Floyd. The world is worried about systemic racism. Well, we better n- not be caught dead not talking about it at the annual meeting. We better have a, a big a big confab and powwow and a lot of attention paid to how anti-racist we are. Oh, oh, the world is concerned. The the world has returned to feminism. The world has returned to blurring of 
um, gender roles as God created, and they they think we're a bunch of old fundamentalist fuddy daddies on that. Well, we better we better uh, you know focus heavily on how um, pro pro uh, me too we are. We better focus now. We we better we better take a hard turn towards reminding the world, the watching world, that we are pretty much just like them. We care about what they care about. We believe, you know, generally speaking, the framework that they believe. Um, and the only difference, really, is we're going to try to tell them, hey, the answer to this is not um, is, is not their own uh, self fulfillment, not their own self actualization. It's actually Jesus. So we're, we're basically going to be a Jesus-flavored response to whatever the concerns of the world are, rather than, of course, what the Christian response is. The biblical response should be to challenge the um, challenge the framework itself, challenge the presuppositions. Remember, the world is lost. The world is blind and lost. And so it's not just that the world, whatever problems or, or issues the world thinks are, are prime and most important um, need a Jesus solution. It's not like, hey, all the world's, the world's concerns and the way they look at things are totally valid. They just don't know the, they, they don't know yet that the answer isn't Jesus. It's the questions they're asking are wrong. The, the concerns are wrong. The framework is wrong. Um, the presuppositions being used by the world are what need to be challenged. And, and of course, they don't do that. So, oh, the world's concerned about racial reconciliation. The, the culture's concerned about that. Well, we have to just assume that that's... We, we have to move forward as if that's all valid and true. And then and then try to somehow engineer a, a Jesus-flavored um, um, appreciation for and response for racial reconciliation. A Jesus-flavored and, um, and frameworked response for um, feminism. And, and gender confusion and, and all of this. And, and we see churches and, and, you know, SBC, I mean, I see it firsthand, this kind of stuff happening all the time. Happens all the time. You know, in SBC churches, they say, hey, we're going to have, we're going to have this, uh, this woman up here on the praise team be the one reading scripture and, the, and, and, and all of this. And hey, we're, we're going to, we're basically, we're going to get as close to the line, the scriptural line as we possibly can without, while still technically being, being biblically faithful. You know, well, she's reading scripture right there in front of the congregation, but she's not actually exercising spiritual authority or, or, or teaching men. That's not what that is, guys. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's so transparent what they're trying to do. They're trying to basically placate the, the biblically faithful conservatives who are saying, um, hey, this is the way God designed this and what scripture teaches is really important here. And yet still throw a bone to the watching world to say, we still let women serve. You know, they're, they're trying to have it both ways. And I mean, with the example I just gave with a woman, um, you know, reading scripture in, in the, in the praise and worship service, um, there's no need for that because every time that happens, there are men on the, on the, um, up in the front that could do that reading, you know, unless you're to argue that she's the only one up there that knows how to read, which is of course silly. So why do they do it? Well, because again, they're trying to throw a bone to the watching world. They're trying to throw a bone to the culture. They're trying to make sure that the culture likes them and doesn't see them as fundamentalist fuddy-duddies that are oppressing women because, it's, you know, somehow, I guess, letting, letting the, uh, the woman read um, the scripture there is going to placate the, the Jesus-hating culture around us. Um, it's a fool's errand, obviously, but it is one that um, evangelical churches do all the time 
And that's really what this response from J.D. Greer is. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, okay, maybe we should we should take this seriously because if all the black churches say, you know, that that we have to have women pastors, well, I mean, we you know, we don't want to lose them, and certainly, I mean, we don't want to be called racist. I mean, that that that's the uh, the most damaging thing anybody could ever say about an evangelical leader is to point a finger and say you're being racist. They'll these guys will do just about anything to avoid that. Anyway, it's getting 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 kind of interesting out there. Um, I don't, I'm not obviously going to make a prediction for what's happening next year, like a year from now, but certainly, I mean, you know us. We'll be following it and tracking it and, and telling you about it and praying about it and trying to figure it out scripturally and 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 then uh, um, discussing it with you all. So uh, thank you, uh, patrons, for your financial support. We could not do it without you. Thank you, um, everybody else as well, for listening to and reading Protestia. Um, I, you know, I would call you, you know, lovable freeloaders. I'm glad that nobody has complained about that term for, you know, months now. I think we've, I think we finally all matured to the point where we can understand that it's tongue in cheek and we love you anyway. And, you know, and, and if the, if the spirit puts on your heart that, uh, you can, uh, support us on Patreon, we would appreciate that. Patreon.com forward slash protestia. Um, you know, tell your friends, uh, you know, we need, we need all of the, uh, the support that we can get. Um, to continue doing the work. Um, And in the meantime, have a good end of your week. Go to church on Sunday and worship the Lord corporately with the saints loudly in front of the whole world and uh, bring glory um, to our Lord and Savior. Have a good rest of the week. Talk to you later. As always, Semper Reformanda.